Good morning. This is um, an awkward moment. Um, <laughs> this is that moment where uh, you're nominated to be the head pastor, but you don't know till you're done. So I was thinking about that, and I thought, this could be the first message in a new season, or this could be the last message. So... <laughs> In fact, this morning, uh, True, our, our uh, middle child, today's her birthday. Last night, uh, I was saying goodnight to her. She said, my birthday wish, Dad, is that you get the votes. You get the votes. So, I mean, no pressure, congregation, all right? <laughs> and then she followed up with this. But if you don't, there's some spare pastors. <laughs> and I went, well, I've never really thought of them as spares. But she's right. In fact, I did a write-in ballot. I wrote Dave Beatty. So, um, <laughs> anyhow. Um, as I thought about, for real, whether it would be the first message or the last message, as I thought about that, I realized I think those would actually be the exact same message. Um, and so I'm excited to share what God has been stirring in my heart. In fact, I could just tell you right now what it is. It is, um, I've been saying this for like a decade we need a water slide into the baptismal, all right? And, and if we would baptize so many people. Um, now, let me, uh, will you pray with me? And then excited to share what he's been stirring. Heavenly Father, uh, this morning, um, as I've thought about this day and reflected on this and all that you've been whispering and showing, uh, my words just don't, don't capture it. And so... Take my mouth this morning and um, take all that you've been stirring and bring that out in a new season and new direction for this church that you love so, so much. In Jesus' name, amen. There was a movie years and years ago that just captured me. I would not recommend it for younger ones, um, but it, it was about, obviously, any movie that says based on a true story is uh, usually very loosely based on a true story. But it was a movie that many of you in here have probably seen. It was about a specific time in world history um, in Rome called Gladiator. Called Gladiator. And I was captured by that movie because I just, it, it was horrifying and at the same time just fascinating at what we can do to one another um, and, and the extent to which that went, and even uh, maybe a picture of a piece of the world that Jesus actually walked around within. But at the beginning of that movie, there's a lot of Hollywood to it. At the beginning of that movie, Russell Crowe is the main character of that movie, and he plays the part of a Roman general who, who heads up the Felix Legions of the Roman army. And at the beginning of the movie, um, his forces have, they've assembled for battle, and they're going to battle this, this horde of, they call them Mongols, in, in the woods, and the, this legion is lined up. And um, Russell Crowe, who plays General Maximus Decimus Meridius, how's that for a name? If you're pregnant, think about it, all right? But... Um, he is, he's lining, he's on his horse, and he wants to speak to the legion before they head into battle. And they all get quiet, and he says a number of things, and then he says this simple phrase that I have just thought about and thought about and thought about. What we do in life echoes in eternity. 
What we do in life echoes in eternity. And as individually as we turn the page on the calendar, and as a church, we turn the page on a new season here at the church, in, the, in the life of the church here, I kept thinking about that quote because I think it speaks so much to something about us. First thing it, it points out is that if you are sitting here, if there is air going into and, and you're exhaling from your lungs, you have been given and I have been given time. Time on this earth. We've been given life on this earth. But the other thing that that quote just it took me to was that there is something deep down inside all of us, every single one of us, that we know that what we do and we long for, what we do in this life to have an impact far beyond the physical boundaries of this life and far beyond our own lives. Because every single person in here can probably remember a day, or maybe you even woke up this morning, deep down with something in you saying, I want to make an impact. I want to leave an impact on somebody's life. You want to impact your family. You want to impact your community. You want to impact your neighbors. You want to impact your church. You want to impact this world in some way that one day, when your life is over, people can actually point back and say, wow, my life is different and substantially better because they were in it. And, and we, we get this because we, we want to have this, this lasting impact. This is, we are born with this. And you think back to your childhood, it is, there are no small dreams that are dreamed in the hearts of children. There aren't. The question is, will that echo? Because that is not ego, and that is not pride, and that is not selfish ambition in you. That is actually the stirring of something God put inside you. And that is his fingerprint upon your life and on my life. And, and here's, here's what I think we run into. If you're anything like me, you may even disagree with this statement a little bit because something along the way happened. See, we run into resistance, and life gets in the way, and, and as a stack of bills was maybe all it took to send you from what you thought your dream job and dream direction in life was to something else. And we run into resistance, and suddenly that thing in us that, that wants to have an impact, it can fade. It can fade away. In fact, Paul, Paul is a man who is responsible for writing a significant portion of the New Testament in a letter to the Corinthians the church at Corinth, he summed up really our life experience in a series of phrases. He said, we're hard-pressed, we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down, outwardly we're wasting away, we groan, we're burdened. Happy New Year from Paul, all right? But there is a groaning that goes on inside all of us, and we get this. We get this not just, not, just, um, not just in general, but individually, don't we? When we run into setbacks, what we often do is we interpret, we misinterpret our circumstances. And we think, oh, that's how God thinks of me. Somehow I must be unfavored, overlooked, forgotten about. And that doesn't just happen individually. 
In fact, uh, next month I will have been at this church for 23 years and I can tell you there have been seasons and there have been times in this church where I've thought, have you forgotten us, Lord? Because we've had some hard times and we've had some hard seasons. We've had seasons of blessing and we've had seasons of difficulty here at the church. And it's so, so easy for us to misinterpret the circumstances in our lives and say, wow, God must have overlooked me and forgotten about me. And as a result, what happens is we feel like we've settled and we feel like we've disappointed him in some way. And it's real, real easy to look at our time here on earth and settle for just passing the time. If I could just get through to the other side, then everything will happen. And it's easy to look around at life and go, is, is this what my life is going to echo into eternity? Well, I have a question. What if we misinterpreted the message behind our circumstances? What if we misinterpreted it? I mean, it's natural to think it's a sign that maybe God overlooked us or forgot us or moved on from us, but what if we misinterpreted it? Because Paul, on the heels of all those phrases, which we'll give context to in a minute, he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, for a while we are in this tent. Paul was a tent maker. So when he talked about our human bodies, he said, while we're in this tent, we groan and are burdened because, and it is not because God forgot about us. It is not because God overlooked us, and it is not because God doesn't love us. Because we do not wish to be unclothed. Those seasons of life where you feel like everything has been stripped away. We do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, a heavenly body. He says that thing, that thing that you groan about, and you groan over, that's actually God. That's what he put inside you. He put something so deep and so lasting and so life-giving inside you that when you see something the opposite of that inside of you or anything that falls short of that, you will groan. You will feel a burden, and it is a holy, holy burden. And then he says this, so that there's a purpose to the groaning, so that what is mortal, what is finite, what is temporary, what is uh, difficult, what is perplexing, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. You know what Paul's telling us here? He says, God doesn't want you to just pass your time. God does not want you to settle for just passing through this life. God wants to put life into this life. God wants to put life into your time. Well, I, I thought I was just trying to get through to the other side. No, God wants to fill your time on this earth and in eternity with life. In fact, he doesn't just want to do it. What he says next says God has actually already guaranteed it. Verse five. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose. Do you want to know your purpose in life? 
It's to put life into your time. The one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit. And I love this next word, guaranteeing what is to come. It is a guarantee. He says, it is done. It's going to happen. And as evidence, I've put my spirit inside those who will entrust their lives to me. And as Paul, in a handful of verses that follow, he says, you know what that life looks like? It means you live by faith, not sight, even though when everything you see is difficult and it causes you to groan and there's a burden, you live by faith. And he says, we live with confidence. We live with assurance that God is still up to something even when everything we can see is difficult. And so, the question for us this morning is how? How? I mean, it sounds great, but it's like this really big idea. So how? How do we put life into our time? And I want to walk you through. I want to walk you through three pieces that I think Paul uses to anchor this purpose. And I believe it's a purpose for every single person in here. But I believe it is a purpose for this church going forward. That this would be, if we were to drill down into the bedrock, into the foundations of this church, this would be the purpose and the mission going forward. He starts in. He starts in uh, verse 14 is where we'll pick up. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. He says, the first of that, for Christ's love compels us. Now that's different than the love that I'm often compelled by each day. Because we wake up and we're compelled by love of who? Ourselves. We're compelled by our own love. And as a result, we spend our days and we go through our days trying to either keep the love that we feel like we have or earn more of it. We try to keep it or we try to earn it. We try to keep it or we try to earn it. In fact, most of our frustrations each day are, are probably based on a perception of I'm either losing some, someone's love or somebody's love or I'm trying to earn more of it from somebody. And we can spend our lives doing that. But he says, for we are compelled by Christ's love. It compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Now, some of us actually need the second part of this verse because I know that there are people in my life that I can think of. I remember being this person and I still struggle with it where we think, I'm not that bad. I I'm a pretty good person. I mean, God, God's fine with me. I, 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 can, I can do what I want. At least I'm not like fill in the blank. And Paul says, no, the fact that Jesus had to die for everybody means that everybody had something in their life that he had to die for. It's pretty bad, is what Paul's saying. But then some of us need the first part of this verse. We need the first part that says, one died for all. Because on the opposite side of the spectrum, I believe there are people in here that we think, and I've spent time here as well, we think, well, not for me. Because God, if, if people knew what I've done, if people knew what I think, if people knew what was stirring around in this heart, I don't know. And Paul says, no, he died for all. That means on your worst day, your worst act, your worst motive, 
Jesus said, I'll die for that. I'll die for that. Paul's making a point that, well, your sin is so terrible and you are so valuable. And that means something for each and every single one of us individually. Paul says it next. He says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. In fact, I just highlight this over and over and over. They should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You know what that means? That means that the things that I used to define myself with, I don't define myself with anymore. And and the first thing that I think Paul is getting at here that is an anchor for our lives and, and for this church is to connect with Jesus. Because it's in connecting with Jesus that we get God's eyes on us. I used to think that my value and my worth was what I could achieve, what I could accomplish, or what I couldn't achieve or what I couldn't accomplish. And Paul says, no, you connect with Jesus and that all changes. And you will start to put life, you will put abundant life into your time here on earth and in eternity. But if we don't, if we don't, it's a very purposeless sense of being. In fact, it reminds me of how many of you, junior high or high school, maybe uh, mom and dad or, or one of them, but you were alone all day during summer, during the summer days. Just mom and dad were at work, and so you had to spend your days at home in the summer. Okay, well, that was a story for my sister and I. And mom and dad were working, and so we just had these summers where we had to wake up every day and figure out what we were doing. What are we going to do that day? And have you ever ever left, let's just say a dog, at home alone that's not trained? Okay, that house is not going to be very clean when you get home. And that pretty much describes how we spend our days. Because you wake up and you think, well, my love of me compels me, so I'm hungry. And so we got incredible. In fact, I still have recipes if you want them. We are so good at making ramen. We have so many different variations of ramen. And during that time, we not only discovered all these variations of ramen, um, we discovered just how many Totino's pizzas we could finish off um, in, in a couple hours. And so, I'm hungry drove our days, but then I'm bored drove our days. And uh, I'm just going to, I have never admitted this, so why not, in, in, not, why not do it in front of a room of hundreds of people right now? Um, out of boredom, I actually, at 2 p.m. every single day, tuned into Days of Our Lives. <laughs> yes. Yes. And so, I'm hungry led to ramen and Totina's pizza. I'm bored turned into Days of Our Lives. In fact, if... If you ever want to sit down and talk days of our lives, 1992 to 94, I can, we can talk about John, Marlena, Stefan. It's a, it was crazy. But the other thing that crept into my mind as a young man, as I looked in the mirror was, oh my goodness, um, am I enough? Am I enough? And so I also started doing push-ups. So this was my existence. I would eat ramen, I'd eat Totino's, and then while Days of Our Lives was on, I was doing push-ups in front of the TV. And it's just like, I finally woke up one day and I went, what am I doing? What am I doing? It's a purposeless sense of being when we don't connect into the one who can put life into our time. 
Well, that's the first anchor. Paul moves on and he says this. He says, now this translates outside of you. And in verse 16, he says, so from now on, we regard no one, no one from a worldly point of view. Huh, that's convicting. Because when we see people, we think, we think of their status and we make all kinds of snap judgments. We see a position, we see a title, we see a bank account, we see their belongings, we see the neighborhood they live in. We see all kinds of things. We see social media profiles. And he says, we regard nobody through those lenses anymore. In fact, he says, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. And now Paul's talking from his own story because Paul, if you know anything about Paul, he was actually on the opposite side of doing what he ended up doing. Paul was actually murdering Christians. Anybody who followed Jesus, he was hunting them down, dragging them into the courts, and if he could, if he could find a way, he would execute them as well until one day God stopped him very literally in his tracks on the way to Damascus. And what's so interesting to me is there's this, there's this person in Paul's story that you don't hear much about. He was in Damascus, and the Lord said to him, a man named Ananias, he said, Ananias, I am bringing you one that I want to use for my name, to further my cause. And Ananias said, oh, who is it? And he said, the one you know is Saul. To which Ananias raised an argument. He said, well, okay, do you know what he does, God? He looked at Saul through the same lens that we look at people. Do you know what they're like? Do you know what they do? Do you know what they've done? Do you know what they are trying to do? And God said, I know. But him, when he comes here, you are going to find him. And I'm going to use you to remove these scales from his eyes so that he can see. Well, at the time, Paul was actually named Saul, Saul shows up in Damascus, Ananias finds him. I cannot wonder how terrified he must have been. And you know what the first word that Ananias said to Saul, who persecuted everybody? Brother. Brother. And so, of course, Paul is saying what he's saying right here. We regard nobody from a worldly point of view because if that man had regarded Saul, Paul's saying, if, if he had regarded me from a worldly point of view, I'm not here right now. And the effect that has, Paul says next, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. That means my old way of seeing you or anyone else, it's gone. And the new is here. I have a new way of seeing. See, I, I believe that what Paul's getting at here, that he heard from God, is that if we want to put life into our time here on earth and in eternity, we've got to connect with Jesus. But I, I believe what he's getting at here is we also have got to connect with people. You've got to have his eyes for you and his heart for them. We connect with Jesus and we connect with people. Again, going back to junior high, I will never forget one of the people that God used to bring me here just under 23 years ago. Ryan Wellborn was my nemesis in junior high. 
okay? I still remember the words he called me. I still remember the smirk on his face the first day we met. I remember my uh, hatred for him for a good couple of years until one day, sophomore year at Columbine High School, God saw fit to not just put us in the same American history class, Miss Wathen's class, I still remember, but the Lord saw fit to put Ryan Wilborn and I right next to each other, in desks right next to each other. And, and Wellborn, we would see each other in the halls. He's like, hey, Nathan. And I thought, oh, maybe, maybe he's had a change. Maybe something's different. And then I got called a name. And so it got to where every day he'd be like, hey, Nathan. I was like, shut up, Wellborn. Leave me alone. And finally, one day in class, he said, Nathan. And I was like, I don't want to hear it. I, I just don't want to hear it. He said, Nathan. I was like, so I turned to him. And Ryan Wellborn, this is high school boy stuff, Okay. He had pulled out like a loose fold of his eyebrow right here, and he shoved a safety pin through that loose fold of skin and followed with these words, you want to come to youth group? <laughs> and I went, what? Is, is this what they do at youth group? Because if so, no, I don't. And I actually said no for a month until one night I walked in. And you know what I discovered? I realized... Ryan Wellborn had had a shift in how he viewed me. And I met an entire group of people who, well, they just, they had a different view of people. They, for years, and I believe it's part of the very fabric of this church, this is a church that connects with people. And then Paul, he's going to bring these two pieces together. You'll see it here in just a moment. He's going to bring all this together into one more peace that I believe is such a part of the heart of God and the mission that he wants to see and, and is present here already, but we need, to, we need to hold it up. Look at what he says. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us that is, I'm about to give you what you are to do with your time here on earth. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then do you see at the end there, the punctuation, there's a colon. There's a colon, and that's important because he's about to tell us what the ministry of reconciliation is. This is what you're to spend your time on. Verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to himself, the world to himself, not just some, his heart was all. It is all. He's reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. You notice the language here? You, you read this and you go, okay, so what's our part? Because this is all God's part. This is God doing it all, reconciling the entire world to himself. And he's about to give us our part. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God says, I will do the modifying, but you, you do the messaging. And then Paul says, so you know what that means for us? Verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are Christ's ambassadors. Do you remember when you were younger and you told your friend to go tell somebody that you loved them? 
Do you remember? Actually, Ryan Wellborn, high school. High school. I was like, hey, can you go tell that girl that I'm interested in her? Do you know what he did? Exactly what you don't want an ambassador to do. He went and asked her out. <laughs> and I went, wow, how often do we do this to God? How often do we do this? Because we want the love. And Jesus says, no, you're my ambassadors. That means you go with the message that I have given you. As though, he continues, as though God were making his appeal through us. That means, you know what that message is? Do you know what you say? It's this. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. How does that take place? Verse 21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You connect with Jesus because that gives you his eyes on you. He says, and then you connect with people to communicate his heart for them. And then you know the third piece, the third anchor is omission. Connect people with Jesus. And in doing so, you find your very God-given purpose for your time here on earth. You connect with Jesus. You connect with people. You connect people with Jesus. Just over four years ago, my grandmother, a couple weeks shy of her 92nd birthday, uh, passed away. And a couple weeks before she died, she really started to go downhill. Her health went downhill. And uh, our family... Um, you know, we were having this conversation. Well, who's going to... She had never given her life to Jesus. And, and there's this conversation going on like, okay, time is getting short. Who's going to go have the conversation? And, and there's one person in our family that has had this conversation with her and my grandpa over and over and over. It's my uncle. His name's Russ. All right? Uncle Russ. And my uncle, um, he had tried and tried and tried, and they just weren't interested. Weren't interested over and over and over. Well, it got to what turned out to be just a few days before she died. She was in hospice care, and we got word that her, she really just was starting to crash. And so they stabilized her, and I remember it was a Sunday after church. He went over there, tried to have the conversation, didn't go well. She just wasn't real responsive, understandably. Monday morning, he said, I've just, I just got to go. I've got to go back. I've got to go back. <sighs> and so that Monday, he had a conversation with her about what Jesus had done in his own life. And then he communicated to her God's view and heart for her. In just over 48 hours, she gave her life to Jesus in that moment. Just over 48 hours later, she took her last breath. And I thought, oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, for Uncle Russ. Thank you, Lord, for Uncle Russ, who so held on to this mission. That when you look at what Jesus has done in your life, and you look at who you, he's connected you with, then you have this heart and this purpose to connect people with Jesus. And in doing so, in doing so, he got a front row seat to God 
putting life into her limited amount of time left on earth. But now, the life she will have for all eternity. Wispels. Can I propose a new direction going forward? For 23 years I've come here, and these words above the stage, this church has lived out incredibly. And they're the very words that came out of Jesus' mouth. But do you know what Jesus did? Jesus not only fulfilled those words, he spent his life clarifying and defining and putting traction to those words. And as I've made observations and I've just watched over 23 years, I am more convinced of this than anything. The centrality, the central role Jesus plays in all of it. And so I would propose and I would ask for us to step forward with a new mission in mind. That this West Bulls church would be a church where people connect with Jesus, connect with people, and connect people with Jesus. In doing so, I believe every single person in here, if you have entrusted your life to him, you will find your time is so full of life and you are no longer passing the time here on earth or in eternity. And I will end with this. I believe now is that time. Now is that time because as I look at what Paul said next, it so speaks to some very specific things here at the church. He says in, in chapter six, verse one, as God's coworkers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Have you thought about the grace of God on this church? Just look at this room. The size of this room, the size of the building, it's not about physical size, but I believe it speaks to the potential I believe it, has, it speaks to the potential of what God has given us through his grace. But the other thing I think about are the people here. I think about the people because the last few months as I've listened to people and talked with people and heard the burdens and the dreams and all of it, well, I believe God has blessed this church with leadership and with people who want to fill this time here on earth with life. The second reason I know is the next thing Paul says. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Does it ever dawn on you? Do you ever just look around and go, how are we still here? I'm taken by the fact that Paul's letter to the Corinthians, if you know anything about his first letter to the Corinthians, they were a mess. And as I read about their church, I can't help thinking about our church. <laughs> I can't help thinking about our history because we have had some messy, messy seasons. And God says, I can still use that. I can still reconcile all that. I can still redeem all that. What if he was sustaining all this time for right now? his provision on this church, his sustaining of this church, and the last reason I know that now is the time because of what he said in verse five, his spirit, his spirit. He says, I have given you my spirit as a deposit because it is a guarantee. I will do it. 
I will do it. And so, West Bulls, a new direction. A new direction. Connect with Jesus. Connect with people. Connect people with Jesus. Unless the vote is a no, and then we'll figure this all out next week, all right? <laughs> but I am excited for you to, we're just, you'll see a 40-second preview here for the next uh, couple months here. We are going to go through a sermon series called We Are West Bulls. Because God placing his spirit in the people of this church means that there are some values, some core values here in this church that I believe drive that mission forward. And so, here's a preview.